Welcome to Women of Marvel. I'm Ellie Pyle. I'm Judy Stevens. And I'm Angelique Rocher. Well, here we are. It is the last episode of our season. I'm sad about it. Ellie, I don't want it. Can we just go back and start over? This was a really good season. It was. I mean, and for those who just started listening to Women of Marvel with this episode, there are so many seasons for you to go dig into. There's so many episodes. There's over 250 of them. Please go listen to all of them. Thank you. (laughs) Rate and review. We love it. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us again. But that's it. We're done. Well, we've spent this season talking about the powerful mentor-mentee relationships between our characters, how they've shaped younger characters like Nadia Van Dyne, Miss Marvel, Moon Girl, and how they've impacted the creators and fans in the real world, too. So what was everybody's favorite episode? I mean, New York Comic Con. I mean, it's the best. Oh, that's a good choice. I got to hear from both of you about your mentors, and uh, there were some boss ladies on that. Yeah, that was a really good time. Absolutely. You know, obviously, Sana Manik is one of the co-creators of the podcast, started all the way back in 2014, and it's just so great to have her back. So, like, anytime I get to talk to her, I'm, like, riding a rainbow. It's incredible. But also, you know, being able to talk to her about Kamala, having her reflect on, you know, the last almost 10 years of the history of Ms. Marvel, and just have her join the podcast. I mean, I just, I love Sana. She's great. I love that you said that, Judy, because we have like a really special episode for today. Absolutely do. We wanted to bring the idea of mentorship from inside the Marvel Universe out into the bullpen. Yeah. So we hosted a roundtable conversation between three generations of Marvel mentors, Sanaa Manith, Jenny Lee, and Mackenzie Cadenet, who are all former Marvel Comics editors who have gone on to do incredible things in their careers. I really love that because if you talk to any of them, the way they talk about each other is absolutely fabulous. Yeah, I shared an office with Sana for several years when we were both in editorial and I was officially her assistant for a little bit. And she was an incredible mentor, but also, as you said, listening to her talk about Mackenzie and the mentorship that she had experienced and how she was trying to carry on that tradition. I am so excited to listen to this conversation because I really do think that in comics editorial in particular, you can see a lineage of ideas, kind of how they grow and change, that you can tell who people worked with based on certain habits they picked up and certain philosophies and how they treat their talent. And it's always so fascinating to me to kind of see how those things evolve through an editorial family tree in a manner of speaking. And also with Jenny, you can see the reflection on how, not only how the way that she treats her creators, but how she treats her fellow coworkers. Jenny came into Marvel in a very interesting time, and she was the only woman in editorial at that moment. And when Mackenzie started and other female editors started, Jenny's goal was to make sure that there was no competition, that they were all a team, and they would like go out for lunch. Like If you look back, where this podcast and this panel started all those years ago really like ties a lot into that relationship between Jenny and Mackenzie and then obviously what Mackenzie would bring to Sana and then what Sana would bring to us. And it's a big happy family. It's great. So now that we've gushed about how much we love all of these women, let's let them speak for themselves. 
Hello, ladies. Welcome to Women of Marvel. We are so glad to have you all here. So to kick us off with our roundtable, why don't you go around and introduce yourselves? Tell us about your Marvel history and what you do now. I'll go first. Uh, my name is Jenny Lee. I'm a film editor, but in my past life, I was a comic book editor. I worked at Marvel between 2001 to 2005. And before that, I was also an editor at DC Comics for the Vertigo Imprint. Hi, I'm Mackenzie Cadenhead, and I currently write the Ask and Answered with the Women of Marvel column for the Women of Marvel. I used to be an editor at Marvel for part of the same time that Jenny was, and I worked at Virgin Comics with Sana, and now I also am a children's book writer. And hello, I'm Sana Amanath. I used to work at Marvel Publishing as an editor. I started in 2009. I actually don't know when I stopped exactly. <laughs> and then I transitioned over to Marvel Studios. I'm now an executive of production and development, and I have been here for the last two years. And of course, I'm an original woman of Marvel. That's true. I used to do this show back in the day, so it's pretty awesome to be on this and to be with Mackenzie and Jenny. Yeah. So we wanted to do this episode with all of you here together today because we've been talking a lot about mentorship this season and we know that you all have a very special tree of mentorship that kind of flows between you. And so we wanted to bring you together to kind of talk about your experiences editing comics and the way that mentorship both that you've experienced and that you've given has played a role in your careers. So why don't we start at the beginning with Jenny and Mackenzie. How did you two meet and come to work together? A long, long time ago. <laughs> um, so I, as I said, I started at Marvel in 2001. So just to set the stage a little bit, at that point, only the first X-Men movie had come out. They were still working on X2. The first Sam Raimi's Spider-Man had not come out yet. That was going to come out the following year. Marvel had only recently come out of bankruptcy. Bill Jemis and Joe Quesada had sort of only been there by the time I showed up, like maybe a year or so. And two of the editors I had worked with at DC Comics, Stuart Moore and Axel Alonso, had recently been working there. Bill Jemis at the time had been looking for, his assistant was outgoing, and he was looking for a new one. And he was at this sort of lunch, and Axel and Stuart were both there. And he's like, if you know of anybody good, you know, let me know. And Stuart's like, you know, Jenny Lee just left Vertigo. And, you know, maybe you want to speak with her. And then he's like, you know, that's actually either the best idea I've ever had or the worst idea <laughs> I've ever had. Because Bill, you know, has a lot of personality. and um, But he just wasn't sure if we were going to get along. And so I interviewed and he was the COO and he was like the president of publishing, licensing and new media. And I showed up. I was like in a suit. I wore a suit. He made me wait for an hour. <laughs> and I showed up with all the books that I had like worked on. And notably, like I had done this Sandman, the Dream Hunters book because I had recruited Yoshitaka Amano to work at DC Comics. And he's like, listen, this is all great. He's like, I need an assistant, you know, so he's like about 40% of your time will be working with me on all the executive stuff, like the phones, the scheduling, like all this other stuff that I need you to do. But the rest of your time here is a container and you get to fill that container with however you want to fill it. And I said, well, I want to edit. This is what I know how to do. And this is what I'm interested in doing. He's like, great, you could do that. And I thought that was a fair trade-off. So when my time there, my early time there was really outside of the regular editorial and publishing structure and the hierarchy. 
that time of Marvel felt kind of like the Wild West. Like there was like really exciting, crazy stuff happening at the time and you can kind of really feel it. But there were not a lot of women who were working there in editorial specifically, which is, you know, where I always had my eye. And I think Bobby Chase and Lisa Hawkins were, I think we might have overlapped a little bit, but they were on their way out. And so when I would go to these editorial meetings, I A, felt like such an outlier, you know, like sometimes, you know, you go into a new room and you're just kind of looking around and you're like, how many women are there here? You know, how many people of color are there here? You know, and very specifically, you know, I would go to those editorial meetings and there were no women of color there, certainly. And like the only people of color were Joe Casada and Axel Alonso, you know. So, you know, that whole Sheryl Sandberg, like lean in, they're like, take a seat at the table when you go to the meeting. Like I sat with my back against the wall. Like I was like, I'm not going to be sitting like <laughs> at this table and taking up space. Like I'm like all of my second generation assimilation tendencies were all I'm like, I'm just going to like lay low, <laughs> take it in. But what I really felt was very isolated. And so I had come out of an editorial space at like a Vertigo where it was a lot of other women. And then I went to the exact opposite, which was Marvel, where there were very few women in editorial. And so I had come out of a tradition of being in a community space with a lot of women specifically. Like I actually used to train in the like post-second wave feminist, like martial arts, nine hierarchical schools and like super feminist environments. So to be in this like real like kind of male oriented space, it's not that I wasn't ready for it, but I was really hungry for community. And so when Mackenzie came on, I was so grateful to see her. And I was so, um, I think I just kind of decided that we were going to become friends, <laughs> you know, and yes, <laughs> Mackenzie, you can, you can tell the story from here when we first met. Well, my quick context before that was that I had been working in theater. I was a dramaturg and I worked for a theater producer. I had been in a very different type of space than Marvel. But for me, it's always been about the visual and the text coming together, be it in theater or in this case in comics. And about a year before I really started getting into comics and truly stumbled into this job, a woman that I went to grad school with was working to do talent recruitment, I believe. And I was like the Broadway hopeful. I was like, sure, I can do it. I like right off the bus, I wasn't intimidated. I didn't think about it. And then I walked in and I was like, where are the girls? You know, it was definitely, it was different. And I was in an office with C.B. Cebulski and Nick Lowe and Ralph Macchio that was incredibly warm and inviting and fun. And I was like, but still, where are the girls? This is weird. And Jenny, it's exactly what Jenny said, I think I went downstairs because we were on different floors in the beginning and I went downstairs to get something, met Jenny and she, if I'm remembering this correctly, Jenny, correct me if I'm wrong. She very quickly was like, okay, listen, you're going to sometimes feel a little bit different than the other kids. I'm here for you. And it was as simple as that. And I thought, oh, okay. And about 10 minutes later, I'm sure I encountered something that threw me and I was like, oh, that's what she's talking about. Thank God she said that. And so I don't know, partly I think because Jenny and I are such good friends, there was just something that was always going to click between us. But I do think that invitation from her to utilize her as a resource to know that I could go to her with whatever and that she said it on day one, it was mind blowing. Because again, I had been in spaces where I don't think people felt as much of the need to go out of their way to say that. And sometimes I had situations that were challenging, I'm talking about in theater, or that, you know, I thought, oh, God, I don't have 
that person. But Jenny very quickly in this scenario said, I'll be that person for you. And it was so interesting to me when we were invited to talk about mentorship, because I thought, well, that's there's so many different types of mentorship. And with Jenny and I, I think it was she certainly had experience that I didn't have when I came in, but it was very much a peer mentorship. And I think that that doesn't get talked about as much where the ways in which you lean on the people who are doing what you do in different ways, because we all have different skill sets. But again, and maybe this is what you're talking about, Jenny, with your martial arts work too, there's no hierarchy. And that certainly impacted the way then that I approached my relationships with assistant editors, with just other people that I worked with, because I came into this scenario learning on the job. I apprenticed in comics as I learned it. I knew story like the back of my hand. I'd been doing it forever. My dramaturgy training was perfect for comics in a way that I wish someone had mentioned sooner. (laughs) It was like, it was great. But you learn as you go. And so it was kind of a gift because I always felt very comfortable asking questions. And then in working with people who were new, I've never really needed to look at them as, oh, I know what you don't. I'm like, oh, cool. You can learn it too. Let's do this together. And that's very much, I think, what happened with me and Senna. Your turn. Well, what a handoff. <laughs> I know, Great right? Transition. <laughs> Great transition, which Thank is you. something I learned from Mackenzie, was how to <laughs> nice. transition between scenes. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Thanks, boss. I'm at Mackenzie at Virgin Comics many, many years ago. She is the connector between me and Jenny, which is kind of a nice little tree, like you said, Ellie, is I heard of also Jenny right after me and Mackenzie got to become very close. And she's like, you need to meet Jenny Lee. She's the best. She's amazing. And it was a shared bond of us being the only ladies, just kind of connecting and having that shared experience. But anyway, I she was my first boss in comics. I met her when we worked at Virgin Comics and I had a very vague job. I think I was like doing PR at first. I was some sort of all-encompassing assistant. Yes, I was. I was doing some PR stuff. I was like an editorial assistant and then PR stuff kind of fell on my plate. And then I got pulled into being a full-time assistant editor. And, you know, it was a really remarkable experience for me because I was in a smaller, I guess I didn't realize how male heavy the industry was because my first experience in comics, I had a very strong and capable female boss. And our office was quite small. It wasn't until I went to a Comic-Con for the first time. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> that was traumatizing. Yeah. It was traumatizing. It was it was crazy. And we were wearing these T-shirts that said Virgin Comics. Like, Virgin was massive. And it was like me <laughs> and one of the other female employees, Michelle, we're walking around, these two brown girls in a sea of lots of white dudes. Oh, my God. Wearing virgin on our shirts. <laughs> And, you know, it was a, you know, terrifying experience. And so I was like, oh, Oh okay, there's there's no women in this industry, really, you know. And over time, I learned about the Bobby Chases of the world and and Jenny Lee's of the world and realized that there are a few of us. But that was a really alarming experience at first. (laughs) But but what was great is Mackenzie really brought me in and, and showed me really the craft of what it was to create and to collaborate and to look at a page of a comic and try to understand how to tell a scene and a story, obviously visually, but with dialogue and what that balance is, and brought in some great storytellers and people to help me get better at the craft. And we would have like sessions every week and talk about 
a TV show we had watched. And it was just, we were just talking about story. And it was such a wonderful way of having a conversation. And for me, it was a combination of like having a great boss and mentor, but also having that female ally. And I think like the first thing we actually really connected on was like talking about something very female, like about waxing, like where we got waxed. And I was like, oh, I think I could be friends with her. I don't think she remembers this. But I remember asking, talking about a bikini wax. And I was like, that's the difference. <laughs> but it's funny that you say that because I, I was going to say this before. There's something about being able to have someone to go to about I'm having a problem with a story beat and meet me in the bathroom. I got to talk to you about something going on personally right now, you know, and and I need a tampon and I need a tampon like that's community. And because we also work in an industry where the lines are blurred, like none of us finish the job at 5 p.m. Certainly when I was at Marvel, I lived and breathed it. This was my closest group of friends too. everyone that worked there. And yet there was a difference between me and a lot of my friends who were men. And to have Jenny and to have, and there were other women in our cohort at the time, it just, it's helpful to have someone who go, oh, I'm like you, I can talk to you about certain things that if I were to, you know, say to the guys in my office, oh, hey, you know, and talk about, I don't know, something personal, they'd be like, uh, no thanks, not now. And it's like, fine, you know, see you later. Jenny, let's go for a walk around the block. Like, I, I mean, I say this also, not everybody has to be best friends. You just happen to be talking to me, <laughs> two of my best friends right now. <laughs> but I think it's a shared interest because we, the three of us are obsessed with story. Like that is definitely something that we've all shared and that I think is the through line and talking about it and dissecting it and making it better and building it. And we're still doing it, whether we're editing comics or doing something different now. We're still storytellers in what we're doing. Yeah. I love that you unpack the sort of concept of mentorship and talking about peer mentorship, right? Because I feel like when we talk about that word in my head, you know, I go to pop culture, of course, we're all story people. I'm like, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, like, <laughs> like Jedi and Padawan, like, and I certainly in my professional career, whether it was in comics or working in film, like, God, I just wish I had somebody who I could go to to talk who has more, who could like talk me through this like difficult situation, right? And when I think about you mentioned like, Jenny, let's go for a walk. Like that is like my core memory yeah. of a lot of our relationship. It was like that courtyard where we would go and like with a coffee. I was just thinking of the exact you same know. place. <laughs> but a lot of this is is about workplace culture, right? Mm-hmm. Because the culture of a play, this is something I learned from one of my very influential martial arts mentors. Her name is Akoni Shimura, but she's like, the culture of a school is going to be reflective of all the students who are in there. So if you're training with a bunch of guys who are 19 years old, and they want to learn how to fight. And that's their principal reason for training in the martial arts, as opposed to like wanting to defend themselves. That's going to be the culture of the school. So if the culture of a place is going to be mostly like, white, cis, male, straight, like, then it's like, not like you leave that behind when you go into a meeting. And when you talk about story, or you're art directing a page, and you're looking at the background and not maybe questioning why everybody's white, or everybody, you know, looks a certain way, you know, like, you bring all of that with you into like all of your sensibilities, but also in the way you interact. It's such like comic book, it's such a relationship driven medium. And as Mm -hmm. editors, so much of our job was like, how do I get the best job out of this writer or this artist? Like, how do I use my skills, my communication skills? How do I find a way to interface and like get 
the thing that we need from them and get it on time. But also the backbone of those relationships are also about building these human connections and building these friendships. And so there's that piece of it when you're like interfacing with the freelancers, but also just like, you know, office culture, workplace culture. What are the jokes that get made when you bring in a sketch of like a woman in like a scantily clad like outfit. Like I remember getting a, a readout of like a Fantastic Four thing. And I remember circling all the places where we saw Sue Storms. And I just circled and I wrote camel toe and I kept circling it and I kept writing camel toe. But I was like, I don't need to know about Sue Storms camel toe, but I'm going to circle it anyway. <laughs> like those kinds of conversations there were a lot of those. And when you're in a place where you're really steeped in this kind of like, whether it's a specific female depiction of form or just, you know, some of these choices that get made character wise, the craft and the, the creative world suffers without that diversity of gender, without the diversity of race and sexual identity and all of those things. But, you know, how you feel moment to moment in the office when you're seeing people, when you're in a meeting, whether you feel comfortable like talking up in the editorial meeting, you know, a lot of that comes down to the culture, the workplace culture, and like whether you feel empowered to step up and say something or not. It's so interesting you brought up that example because don't you also feel like, I won't put words in your mouth, I also feel like I would feel empowered to bring things up, particularly about the depiction of women visually and physically in comics because I had a crew of other women who I know I could look at, particularly you, Jenny, who I could look at and be like, this is happening, right? Like, okay, so I feel empowered to say this because I know I've got at least one person who's going to say, no, I see it too. And when I was doing the all ages comics, I had a rule that was no bigger than a B cup. And it wasn't because of any like, you know, puritanical thing. It was just because I didn't want the over-sexualized depiction of women in these books. I wanted young girls to read it. I wanted young boys to read it and not think of it that way. And had it just been me, I might have been, I mean, I don't know, me, because I have strong opinions about stuff in general. But I do know that there have been moments where to know that I've got someone else who will have my back in this conversation. And it's not just me saying it. It's exactly what you're saying, Jenny. You know, it's not just me. It also then makes me feel like a little more confident in my voice or to say, all right, I'm going to say this. I'm not going to think twice. about. I mean, very quickly, I think we got to a point where even if we did think twice about it, we still plowed ahead because it felt safer to do that when you're not on your own. And because you know you have some support. And also because it is sometimes, as we've all talked about, exhausting and you kind of just sometimes don't feel like doing it to constantly point out things that other people that you're working with don't notice. And you feel like the police, you feel like the diversity cops. And I think all three of us, I know we've talked about, like you may feel that feeling, but you do it anyway. But it does, uh-huh. it can wear on you. And yeah. the more support you have and the more the more you feel like you're not the only one in the room who's going to be noticing this, the better. And I absolutely a thousand percent know that now a lot of the men that we worked with at the time and certainly the people who are in there now, they think about it because it's been brought to their attention. Maybe not all the time, but certainly more so than in the beginning. Yeah, no, just, I mean, when I was there, it was literally 20 years ago, right? So, oh, God, sorry. (laughs) But it's, you know, I mean, that's, it was a long time ago, you know, and things have changed a lot in the last 10 years, certainly. Mm -hmm. So 
I think for me, again, I was in such a weird place in editorial because I wasn't officially part of editorial for a while. I was just like literally in my free time, like outside of Bill's office, like I was like working on whatever, well, some Jared of an Electra or like whatever it is that I might be working on. So that probably contributed to my sense of sort of isolation and part of why I was so hungry. And I felt like so like when I saw Mackenzie and also like when we started having lunches with like all the other women on the editorial floor, it was just fun to just, you know, it felt like a safe space. And for me, considering when I started and fast forward a few years and to see how many other women were there, it was just, it was a really good feeling to see that change, you know? So Sana, you mentioned a bit ago, possibly as a joke, specific things that you had learned from McKenzie in terms of transitions Mm. and whatnot. I always think that it's interesting when you kind of know what other editors people have worked with, you can see certain pet peeves or stylistic quirks that kind of carry through from one person to another. Are there things that you all have noticed that you have picked up from each other or from other people that you've worked with or that you think you have potentially passed on in terms of technical stylistic things? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so much. I I, I will say, I think foundationally, I really learned the craft from Mackenzie. So I think a lot of what I do, I think, is just in terms of process, in terms of how I look at story. I mean, granted, I think we are different people and we have different POVs, but I think our taste is relatively similar. And so it was really great to have that kind of back and forth with her. I mean, Mackenzie would, in the beginning, would redline my notes to writers, which was, <laughs> she's laughing right now, but it was so helpful for me to know how to like you know jenny was saying this is a relationship-based business it's such a small community so it is about like how you're approaching notes with your creators and being very respectful and mindful giving them the space to do what they need to do and helping them plus it and get to the best version of something and just that small process of editing my notes was really beneficial in me just getting better at the craft. And I, you know, I'm a very tactile person. I like to make lists of things. So having that really, really helped me. And then it's just talking through story. I mean, we had Klaus Jansen and Laura Martin come and give us workshops. And that was really thanks to Mackenzie saying, what are the brass tacks of making this and looking at a page and looking at figure sizes? That's something I learned from Mackenzie was like, what's wrong with this page? All of these characters are literally the same size and it's not going to make a very interesting page at all visually and thinking a lot about how to be very efficient with dialogue and thinking about how to be mindful of how many characters you actually need in a story and not necessarily overcrowding it and what makes sense. I mean, Mackenzie had left. I was talking to Mackenzie about early days of Miss Marvel. I'd be calling her up and be like, what do you think? Because I was so needing that soundboard, you know, and she would give me so much feedback on my art direction, so much feedback on my storytelling. And I'm trying to think of it. Pet peeves, maybe tangents. Weren't you annoyed oh, with like the two lines to touch? I was so annoyed. She would be like, those tangents. I hate tangent lines. <laughs> I, like, got to I still do. Yeah. I was, no joke, I make a calendar every year with pictures of my kids and I give it to my parents and I we have it. And I was doing it today and there was a tangent line with my son Miles's head and like the yeah. top of the panel. And I was like, nope, not this picture. <laughs> I had to redo it. So, not yes, on my watch. Not yeah. on my watch. But wait, I want to say something specific to what you were just saying, Sana. I think there's a couple things. One, my thing from my 
dramaturgical days was you always lead with a positive. That was like the biggest thing for me. And I would redline notes, not to say, give my notes, to say, here's how you give notes. That redline was about the craft of giving notes because Mm -hmm. I think it's very important. And now as a writer, I feel so strongly that I will hear anyone if they tell me what works first, because then the effort that I've put in is being acknowledged because creative people, it's an emotional thing that we do no matter what. And editors are creative too. Everybody uh, who works in this is creative. So that is the hill that I die on. But it's funny because I feel like even now, because of the way that you taught me how to do that, I'm so sensitive to the way people deliver notes. And even as I'm reading other people I've worked with, I'm like, it's not even clear, concise. Like, I don't like it when it's like paragraphs rambling on, like just being able to like highlights, this is what it is. These are the bullet points. These are some suggestions and saying little things like perhaps we could try this. Also leading with the we versus you should do something versus maybe we can try this version and asking the right kinds of questions. I mean, that was really transformative for me in terms of knowing how to do that. And it was it is the craft of giving notes versus actually saying this note is wrong. It was about that. That was super beneficial. The other thing about Sana that I just want to point out. I am Sana's champion for two reasons. One, I think she's just amazing and brilliant and wonderful, and I love her. Also, I never met anyone who had a more natural art director eye than she did. And also, when you see talent, I think as a manager, as a mentor, as whatever you want to call it, if you don't embrace it, then you're not doing your job right. And I was just sort of, I think, shouting at her, shouting to the heavens, I was like, This doesn't happen naturally for a lot of people who come into comics, and it did with her. And so it was really important to me to facilitate that, because I think particularly in comics, a lot of art direction is done through apprenticing. So those Klaus Janssen seminars, which I brought to Virgin because they had been done for me at Marvel. Jenny, did you and Bill set those up? I don't remember exactly if it was Bill or, but I was definitely there for the first set of them. And also when Marvel sent the editors to the McKee story seminar as well. That was right before I started. Yeah. Uh, Well, because, and then I sent Senna because I thought that was just so incredibly helpful. It's professional development, right? Like I've been writing for, I don't know how long. And I just did a postgrad because I was like, Hey, I want to focus on this one particular thing because I, I think in a creative industry, you're always learning. You always have to challenge yourself. I think that's frankly what we do for each other. Like Sana and I still talk about what she's working on, what I'm working on. Jenny and I still talk about what she's working on, what I'm working on. These relationships don't end also because once you find people who make you better, you don't want to let go of them. And again, I love them both. They're great friends. But partly that friendship is because I respect their minds and their abilities and what they create so much. It's, it's just all intertwined. Sana, for years before I met you, I knew of your reputation as an art director because, <laughs> oh, of, really? because of Mackenzie's raving about you and being like, oh my God, she's so natural. At it. She's so good at it. And I remember Aww. hearing her talk about sort of how excited she was for you to learn that about yourself as well. You know, mm-hmm. like it was so deeply gratifying for her to feel like you were coming into your own and like discovering your superpower, you know, like that was... And it was so joyful to hear how she just was so thrilled. She was so Mm -hmm. thrilled for you, you know? And listen, it's not always like this. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's not. 
and some of the sort of more toxic environments I've been in or, you know, behavior that I've experienced has come from like the stuff that other women have internalized. Yeah. And it's hard. It can be really hard sometimes. And so when you see other people who are just happy to see you succeed and not thinking, oh, your success doesn't diminish me in any way or your success doesn't take anything away from me, like, right, a rising tide, what is it, lifts all boats, you know, that's something Mackenzie taught me was just how incredibly excited she was to foster those specifically the relationship with you but just in general like I think that that not everybody comes to mentorship in a natural way and I feel like Mac that's something that you actually come to very naturally yeah that's very nice but I do think it goes back to that first day and you giving that to me because I don't know how best to describe it when Jenny was basically like listen there aren't that many of us here I'll be there for you and I didn't get it at first. And I really mean like a couple days later, I probably got it. But like, but it meant so much. And also it comes from Jenny being unwavering. Cause I've also been in scenarios where, you know, everybody has where it's like, oh yeah, like you're great. I love you. And then they're gone. Or you make one mistake and you lose that support. Never lost that support from Jenny. And I think that that it just gives you it's beyond confidence. It uh, gives you security, especially yeah. sometimes when you're in a place that you don't always feel secure. It's so true. That empathy is such a crucial, crucial piece, right? You Sometimes it's just like a look and being like, I'm not crazy, right? No, mm-hmm. you're not crazy. That is so important because when we feel isolated, it's just the worst feeling in the world, right? So much pain and suffering comes from that. And if you could just reflect back at somebody or listen and validate what they're going through, I mean, it's huge. It's the difference between having the strength to keep going or just feeling like it, I'm giving up. You know, I'm getting, I'm quitting. I'm getting out of here. You know, like it's, it's so true. Well, that look across the conference table, like, you know, just me, that shared look being, mm, is pretty golden. I like, you just know, you know who your friends are, but I will say like, that's kind of what I got. There was a moment in time where I've always credit like Mackenzie with the fact that like I, I almost did leave comics. I was almost like, I don't know if I'm good at this. It was really hard. And especially when you feel like you're the only one in the room who doesn't have that history. And she would keep telling me that, like, no, you have something. You can offer something. You can go a long way at Marvel because she's the one who helped bring me into Marvel. And I I wasn't sure I was going to take the job because I had a lot of self-doubt and a lot of challenges before I got to Marvel. And, and she was really, really encouraging. And I remember along the way, actually, I was searching for what to do, whether it was, I think, post-Virgin. And Mackenzie told me to call Jenny up and get advice about being an editor. And You mean film editing? Oh, film editing. editing. Yes, yes, I remember that. Film editing. Yes, I remember I took, like, I I got certified or whatever it was. I I took those classes and I... I really, really enjoyed it and I appreciated it. I mean, like now working at studios and sitting in with an editor That's and invaluable. having that relationship. It's like the most important relationship ever. And I have so much respect for what it takes. But it is interesting because the, the thought process of how you're looking at film and you're looking at scenes, you're so similar to how just making a comic is. It's kind of interesting. But anyway, it's just having that kind of support and then that circle of support around you of, of people that you could reach out to as you're trying to figure out what to do and having those people in your corner because we all kind of know we've been through it and we realize, okay, I might not have these answers for you, but I know someone you can call. I know someone that you can talk to. And that, I think, is the point of having conversations like this and building communities like this. Right. And not just somebody you can talk to, but I vouch for this person. Yeah. Right? I know they're going to do right by you. Absolutely. 
So something you all mentioned earlier that I wanted to touch on because it's so unique to comic book editing versus a lot of other jobs is the mentor relationship with talent. Part of the giving great notes is that you're just editing, but there's also an element of mentorship in how you're developing talent. And that goes both ways in terms of what you all have talked about in terms of learning from talent with things like Klaus's class. So how has that been different from or similar to the mentorships that you experienced in the office and how have you kind of approached that talent cultivation aspect of your careers? I mean, I guess, you know, obviously I pulled so much of what I learned. I think identifying, I'm trying to think of like identifying like younger talent that I've worked with over the years and knowing how to, I mean, I would say probably writers, finding ultimately the thing that gets them very excited and trying to get to the guts and the core of the idea that they're pitching, that they're most excited about, and also understanding, frankly, what their strengths are. Like, I don't think if we're trying to mold someone into something else, my idea of of what good storytelling is or a good writing is or good art is might not necessarily be what theirs is. And so just having those conversations, what's your taste? What's your style? Identifying, oh, this person does really great dialogue. Maybe they go on for too long, though. So how can I help bring that back? And they're really great with characters. So maybe we can work with our younger characters. So maybe we can kind of work on on a story that has a great ensemble cast. So thinking about things like that and trying to help guide them and also at the same time remind them, like, yes, I'm your editor, but I'm also your first audience. And I think that's something I was taught to think of from early on when Mackenzie and I were talking back in the day. And that is very, very beneficial to at least help them bring down their guard, right? It's really hard to be vulnerable and share your art with someone and then they have to tell you what doesn't work. That's hard. So what can you do to cultivate that relationship and that friendship, hopefully, and work on the things that we think that they're best at? We think that I'm excited. As a fan, oh my God, this scene was so much fun. I thought it was so funny or this action sequence is so cool. Like, how'd you think of that? You know, like those are the things, encouraging them, getting them excited about something and trying to channel them in that direction. And then there's some people, frankly, that you just, that need to be unleashed (laughs) to be able to just do whatever they need to do and you can help hone them in. But I think that's really, I feel like me being trained as an assistant editor, a lot of what I, I learned from that was really very naturally passed along to how to deal with actual talent. I'm trying to think of specific instances, but I'm sure Mackenzie and Jenny will have things that I will totally agree with, as always. I think it's also that as an editor, I found for me, I would enter a situation and figure out who I was to the people that I was working with and how, as Sona said, how best to bring things out of them. But I was different in different dynamics. And I sort of let the writer and the artist and the colorist and the letterer and the inker be themselves. And then it was my job to sort of facilitate that collaboration. And I would be different versions of myself for that. Sometimes, you know, I mean, we've had jokes like I've, I feel like sometimes I was very maternal to certain people and that was what they needed. Other times, it was a much more tough love approach, but you sort of figure that out as you get to know an artist. And and for me, I'm sure every editor has their style. I am aware when editors don't really get acknowledged on pieces that they've worked on because there are pieces too, especially now as a writer, I am so aware of what my editors bring to the projects that yes, I maybe 
conceived of that I created, but their contribution is invaluable. But we also have to be somewhat not invisible, but it's not the McKenzie show. <laughs> it's not about me. It's about the project first. And then it's about those creators that are doing these different aspects of the project and who I have to be for them to get the best out of them. And it's not insincere, it's very sincere, but I think that's part of the gig as an editor is you have to be a chameleon because it's not about, you can't impose the way that you wanna work on something. You have to sort of get a lay of the land and then use your skill set to make sure that it's coming together in the best way. Because you're a facilitator, that at the end of the day, you're facilitating this collaboration. I have a really unique vantage point because I worked in comics and I started specifically at DC slash Vertigo, which are creator-owned comics, right? And the editorial approach was very different because these are creator-owned books to working on franchises. Like I used to edit Wolverine, I used to edit Daredevil, you know, and have been on projects where they got handed to me and they're like, hey, this is the team who you're getting, who you're inheriting. And then you just sort of try to do the best that you can and try to forge that chemistry as quickly as you can so that you can as Mackenzie was saying, like be the thing that they need to do their best work. That's really what it comes down to is like you have to really sort of suss out what it is this person needs. But the editor still was the last book to a degree. I have certainly been in situations in comics editorial where I had talent who made it really clear that they weren't interested in being edited, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and so that's, you know, how do you navigate that? I'm sure there were lots of, you know, Hey, Mackenzie, come to the courtyard. I need to talk to you about oh. this, this thing that this person just said to me in this email. Like, how do I handle that? Right. But, you know, and now as a film editor, I am not the final arbiter of taste, at least in film. It's different in TV where it's really producer driven and showrunner driven and writer driven. But, you know, in the feature world, the director is the last book. And so my constant collaboration with that director you know, I have an idea of where I think it needs to be, but I can't just say this is what we need to do, right? Because at the end of the day, it's about facilitating their journey and them getting what they need to get out of it and their vision. So it's not the same in terms of like mentoring talent, cultivating talent, but it's sort of a difference between sort of managing up and managing down. And like, how do I communicate in a way that I can advocate for the story in the way I think it needs to be advocated for. And a lot of it is just sort of asking questions or just being really honest about like, this didn't feel honest to me. I don't understand this. Like, I don't buy that this person would do this thing. It didn't ring true to me. Why is that? And then just sort of chasing down the questions. Why did I feel this way? What can we change? And, you know, in the edit, the old saw is that the movie is written three times. It's written in script, it's written during shooting, and then it's it's written in the edit, you know, and that's the last draft. And and so there's an incredible amount of problem solving that happens, especially because I came up in the indie film space. So, you know, in a low budget world, you have to get really creative sometimes with how you fix these problems when there's no opportunity for reshoots. And how do we make the best film with what we got in the time that we have? And sometimes that means also looking to the director to see if they have the plasticity to embrace a different direction, which might not be what they originally intended, but actually is just as valid or even more exciting, but goes in a different direction because it works better. Like the meal that you are cooking for works better with these ingredients that you actually shop for versus what you thought you were going to get. So yeah, you know, so many of that, the way I interface with creative stakeholders, whether they're producers or studio people, or certainly the director, comes from my time in comics. I mean, it really truly was the best film school 
that I could ever imagine having. That visual storytelling foundation, but also the foundation of how do you speak to another creative person with sensitivity and being able to uplift them and make them excited about what they did and, and for you to reflect that and just, you know, for you to be able to see and acknowledge what they brought. How do you, if you do need to change direction, like how do you do that in a way that's not going to crush their soul, you know, at the end of the day? <laughs> Those are all things that I did on the regular. And because Marvel was so understaffed <laughs> at the time that I was there, did over and over and over again, like, you know, with a lot of different talent. <laughs> so I've always felt that that's what, when Jenny transitioned from editing comics to editing films, I always felt that that was what made her such a good film editor was that she had just impeccable storytelling skills, but she knew how to convey that to a person who maybe was so in the trenches of what they were doing that they didn't yet maybe see certain things. And that's what you want your editor, your film editor, certainly your comics editor to be. But as Jenny says in comics, at the end of the day, particularly at Marvel, our ultimate service is to the continuity, is to the the entire catalog, right? So to have that ability to see all these things that Jenny can see and also know how to communicate them to someone who can basically be like, sure, or I'm going to keep it this way. I think that served the films that she's done tremendously. And also she's just done so many good films. Oh, stop. It's true, though. But that's, I think, the reason why, because it's like the people who scream about how things should be and it's like well cool but if you can't figure out how to tell the person who's in charge (laughs) why then you're just screaming into the void thank you all so much for coming and spending your afternoon with us i want to tell everyone that i mentored to listen to this episode immediately because you all have shared so much good advice for anyone who wants to be an editor and this has been fabulous and i would love for you all to come back anytime oh thank you so much for having me it was so yes, fun. thank you thanks for getting us together oh, it's it's a treat that was amazing this is amazing thank you so much for having me love you all all right as we gushed about in the beginning that was just as amazing and i could listen to it all over again i probably am yeah they're all incredible I'm so happy that we were able to bring them all together and have this conversation and release it for you guys because you are the next generation out there of mentors in comics, but within all of your own industries. So we can't wait to see what you guys come up with. Oh, yeah. I cannot say anything better than that. Oh, all right. So that's it for our season, folks. <laughs> um, the Women of Marvel podcast will be back in 2023. But in the meantime, have a wonderful holiday season and a very, very happy new year. Plus, make sure you follow The Woman of Marvel on Instagram. I'm available at OMG DJ Judy. You can find Angelique at Angelique Roche and Ellie at Ellie Pyle. Wow, you guys are so much better at names than I am. <laughs> I think it's because we made our accounts later. Let's let's call it that. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But yes, we would love to hear from all of you. Until next year, The Women of Marvel is produced by Isabel Robertson, Cara McGurk-Allison, Ellie Pyle, Judy Stevens, and Angelique Roche. Our senior manager of audio development is Brad Barton. 
Our director of production management is Larissa Rosen. Production manager is Emily Godfrey. And our executive producer is Josie Boff. This is Marvel, your universe.